Well, last week we paused our series, our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. I attempted to preach something resembling a Mother's Day message. Well, brother, it was definitely met with a mixed response. I mean, I got shot in the face. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned that yet. I suspect it was a mother who did it. I don't know. But regardless of how it was received, I hope you understand that my heart is never to be abrasive or offensive. My desire is to be led by the Spirit of God. I live with the reality that I will one day stand before my God and give an account for how I have led this flock. I take what is taught from this pulpit doctrinally very seriously. Please believe me when I say I, I don't have an axe to grind with anybody. I have enough of my own faults that I deal with. However, I do have a responsibility to preach. I have to preach the Word of God no matter how uncomfortable it may be for me to deliver it or how uncomfortable it may be for you to receive it. Preaching, when you think about it, it's such an interesting exercise. In fact, the Bible talks about the foolishness of preaching. It, It says in that context how God will take someone who's not wise, not mighty, and not noble. And He can take those as well, but predominantly God takes those things because He wants to confound the world. It's almost absurd to think that God would take an uneducated, weak man and use him as His messenger. How is it that God can use a sinner to proclaim the sinless one. But he does. Any preacher worth his salt understands that when he gets behind the pulpit to deliver the living Word of God, he does so as an ambassador for Christ, standing in Christ's stead. You can see 2 Corinthians 5.20. In other words, the, the preacher is representing Christ Himself as if Christ were present with you physically. Preaching is ordained of God. It's the same thing Jesus would do if He were with us this morning. And so preaching needs to be taken very seriously. Therefore, what we have to do is we we have to look past the man in the pulpit and we need to see Christ. Paul wrote in Titus 1.3, But God hath in due times manifested His Word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. You see, preaching correctly is a very heavy responsibility. I always strive, always strive to rightly divide the Word of God. I don't want to be guilty of handling the Word of God deceitfully. And all I can do is ask you to take me at my word that I really do put a great deal of effort into getting it right every sermon. This does not mean I have all the answers. I strive to. This does not mean that I always get it right, though I want to. I've always been faithful to let you know when something is only 
my opinion. Or if I don't have peace on what a meaning is, I communicate that to you. So I'm asking you, please don't be guilty of refusing the clear Word of God because of your opinions of the messenger. Amen. Amen. Or because you don't like the message when it's coming directly from God's Word. Amen. I had only intended to say some of this in passing, but God just impressed upon my heart and this grew into an entire sermon. I believe God wants me to address this more in depth depth this week because we can lose sight of what is taking place in here. This is important. And we can lose sight of all that, but sometimes you have to go back to the fundamentals. We kind of did that a little bit yesterday at the security class. This is how you grip. This is how you stand. This is how you draw. This is how you point. This is how you... These are fundamentals because once you get your eyes off the fundamentals, you start doing all kind of wacky stuff. And as Brother Cole termed it, you build in training scars. And that happens with people coming to church. With that being said, take your Bibles this morning. Join me in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6. I want to read verses 6 through 11. The Bible says in Luke 6, beginning in verse 6, And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he, speaking of Jesus, entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. They were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. I want to give you a little background here as we begin. We find two groups mentioned that we see quite a bit. You may not understand them entirely, but they're called the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees are mentioned together a lot, but they're two distinct groups. The scribes were professional copyists. That may not sound like a big deal in our computer age, but it was a big deal then. And not everybody was educated, not everybody could could do this. It, It was a laborious task, and the scribes would copy the scriptures, but they were also copying the oral traditions of men. And as a result of copying all this, they were well learned. Legal experts. Imagine if you just copied the Word of God all the time. And so they they were well learned. They became authoritative. They became leaders and teachers. The Pharisees were a strict religious sect within Judaism who were ardent followers of what the scribes were copying. Therefore, these two groups are often together in the gospel accounts as we see here in verse 7. But in the process, what both groups ended up doing is they missed the spirit of the law in favor of the letter of the law. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? And so they got to where they had elevated the oral law 
the oral commandments of men, the traditions of men, they elevated that above God's written law. And when they taught the people, what they would do is they would cite the opinions of some past rabbi, some past authority, some past wise man in their eyes. They, they would quote him instead of quoting God's Word. This is why over in Matthew 7.29, it is said of Jesus, For He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Because the scribes always reference other people. Jesus, shortly before that, has said, Whoever heareth these sayings of mine, He wasn't referencing somebody else. He was the living Word of God. And He said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine, He wasn't speaking the traditions of men, but He was the Word made flesh. Well, because of the corruption of the law, the scribes and Pharisees uh, corrupted God's intent for the Sabbath day. And, and they got to where they felt like nothing should ever be done on the Sabbath except what the oral law had prescribed. And that got down to where you can only walk so far in order to go to a synagogue or to the temple. And there was all kind of laws that, laws that were never contained in God's law. But they had added these things because of tradition. And so the Sabbath became corrupted. You can't do anything. In fact, you can't even do a good work is what's happening. You see this? And so Jesus taught against it. In fact, He did so in this same account. If you were to read Matthew's account, this is what it says over there in chapter 12, verses 11 through 12. And He said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift, lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Listen to what he says next. Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. We see here in our text in verse 9, he's, he's saying this to an extent. We don't have the same detail that Matthew gives, but it says this in verse 9, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy life? And then, of course, he heals the man, answering his question for, for them. The Pharisees were also the ones who controlled the synagogues. The synagogues were places where the children of Israel could assemble who did not reside in Jerusalem close enough to the temple to go there. there were, the synagogues were places of prayer. They were places of teaching, instruction, and, and they were places of worship. Essentially, they are like what we call church today. right? But we understand the church is actually the people. This is just a building made with hands. But we call it church. It's just what we say. And so it's kind of the same thing, and, and you'll find the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, time and again, he, his, his manner, it says, is he would go to the synagogues in order to try to reach the children of Israel. He, he would go there and try to preach them, and he would use the Scriptures to convince them that Jesus was Christ. And so after Jesus was baptized, you'll remember he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was there tempted of the devil... And after that, He returned, the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And then you'll read this in Luke chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And get a hold of this now. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. 
Then when Jesus was on trial just before his crucifixion, he told the high priest in John 18, 20, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. And because it was Jesus' custom, or it was His manner and His habit to be in attendance at the synagogue, we can say that Jesus spent His entire life faithful to assemble. And, And I just captured His entire ministry from beginning and end, that throughout His ministry, He went to the synagogues all the time to teach and to preach and to witness. Now, if it was good for Jesus to assemble... All the time, if it was good for that to be His custom, don't you reckon it's good for it to be our custom? Amen. Amen. Gathering with the church should be a priority for the child of God. Like priority one on the Lord's day. Well, priority one when the doors are open if you can. If it was a priority for Jesus, it ought to be a priority for us. And so if you're able, you should gather with the church. But that's not the thought for today. I just had to throw that in there because it's Sunday morning. Amen. In our text, what we find is Jesus once again going to the synagogue where He's teaching the people. And at the end of verse 6, there was a man whose right hand was withered. And it is the scribes and the Pharisees who are watching Jesus to see if He's going to heal this man on a Sabbath day. They were already mad at Jesus. And they were mad even before this. But even earlier in this chapter, you see there in verse 1, the disciples were walking through on a Sabbath day and they gathered something to eat. And the Pharisees come and say, why are your disciples doing that? Why aren't they obeying the Sabbath? They're already mad at Jesus. So they're watching Him to see if He's going to heal on the Sabbath day. They want to catch this man openly in the act. And so... Um, they're trying to find accusation against Him, it says in verse 7. They're desirous to find a fault with Jesus because they don't like Him and they don't like His message. And they hoped that He'll do something that they can go, Aha! That's why I don't like Him. Does that sound familiar today? Well, Jesus doesn't back down. He says to the man with the withered hand in verse 8, rise up, stand forth in the midst. You say, what's in the midst? Well, here it would probably be up here, but it literally means in the middle of everything. And so right here in the middle, man stands up. Jesus brings him to the middle. And I love picturing this unfold in my mind. And so he has this man stand before them, and Jesus is trying to teach them again. He had already taught them earlier. He's trying to teach again to the scribes and Pharisees. And he says in verse 9, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life, or to destroy it? And I love verse 10. Looking round about upon them all. You see what he's doing here? He, He wants everybody to see this. They want him to do it because they think they're going to catch him, but he's already set the bait the trap, whatever we call it. (laughs) He's already got this thing set up to his advantage. And so he heals this man before them all on a Sabbath day, and those who had missed the spirit of the law are now mad. You can't do a work on on the Sabbath day. That's forbidden according to their tradition. Well, 
in verse 11, look at their response. They were filled with madness, communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, what's happening here in our text? Where where am I going with this? Jesus had just taught them, but the scribes and the Pharisees were unaffected by the message of Christ because they had a critical spirit. Everybody, Everybody picking this up? We find their critical spirit time and time again throughout the Gospels. Here's just one account. After Jesus upbraided the scribes and Pharisees, remember all that? Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Right? He would not be welcomed, and many of you would have left his teaching at that point. I'm only teasing everybody, lighten up, amen. And so, don't prove my point, okay? And so. After he does that in Luke 11, 53 and 54, And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things. Why? Lying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Critical spirit. Not listening. Not listening to the message. Not listening to God's Word but listening because I want to catch this man in some... I don't like him. I don't like the way he preaches. And, and, and I, want to, I want to make sure everybody knows that this man is not right. Unfortunately, there are still those today who come to church with the objective of finding fault with the preacher and his teaching. I'm talking about people with a critical spirit. And once you allow that critical spirit to take root you're going to miss the plain teaching of the Word of God. That's what's happening here in our text. Now, where does this critical spirit come from? I suppose we could list a lot of things and we could spend a lot of time right here, but it could just be it it comes at some point because you stop praying for your church and your preacher. Perhaps something isn't right in your heart, in your relationship with God. And that's now manifesting itself in a critical spirit because you'd rather put, project that onto somebody else. But oftentimes, a critical spirit at church usually develops once someone perceives the preacher is targeting me. Have you been there? Instead of being affected and changed by the Word of God, they get upset. Do you remember the account when Jesus was preaching the gospel at the temple and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they come to Jesus and they say, tell us by what authority you do these things. Remember that? Let me give you the exact quote. Tell us by what authority doest thou these things or who is he that gave thee this authority? Well, Jesus answers their question with a question. I love this account. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm already laughing because I know what he's going to say. He says, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Well, they begin to reason among themselves, how can we best answer this? And they end up saying this in Luke 20, verses 5 and 6. If we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then believed ye him not? But, and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. So they They reconvene back with Jesus and they say, we cannot tell whence it was. And so Jesus replies, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. 
But what's interesting in that account is after Jesus does that, he, he then gives a parable immediately following that. And, and, in, and in that parable, he talks about a man who has planted a vineyard. And he let the vineyard out to husbandmen, people who take care of it. And the man goes into a far country. And when it came harvest time, he sent one of his servants, the man did, to the husbandmen, but they beat him and sent him away empty. Everybody remember this? Well, the, the Lord of the, the vineyard, he sends two more people, two more servants. And they treat them the same way they treated the first. And they go away empty. So the man said, I'll send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. And that's when Jesus went on to say the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now listen to what's written next over there. Luke 20 verses 19 and 20 it says, And the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people. For they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. And they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. They understood Jesus was preaching at them. Jesus' target was them. In fact, in, in Mark's account it says, for they knew that He had spoken that parable against them. That's exactly how Jesus intended them to take it. And as a result of being targeted, their critical spirit caused them to scheme a way to take hold of Jesus' words that they might give them over to Pilate because they had lost their right of capital punishment and they had to take them before a Roman governor to get that achieved. And, and people get upset and they get critical because they believe the preacher is targeting them. I know what it's like to get targeted now. It hurts. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I want to ask you, who am I supposed to target? The people in the church down the road? Now, there are churches that do that. That's their whole platform. I hate the church down the road and this is why. And their people never get fed. They never hear the Word of God. Because the preacher's too busy running down everybody else. He ought to be running you down. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's always been the purpose of preaching to hit those present. First and foremost. I'm called to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. This is, this is the flock that God has has said, I need you to feed this flock. Amen. Get preachers sometimes call me, they're, they're crossways with me, it's not important why. It's usually because I'm really a nice guy and they don't like it. <laughs> That's true, quit laughing. And, and so they, they get crossways with me and it's like, now that's the message. And I'm not going to get up here and say, what's wrong with them? Uh, you've never heard me do that. 
Jesus purposefully hits his target, those right in front of him. Was Jesus out of line when he did that? Then why is the preacher wrong when and if he does it? When he is an ambassador for Christ, and you are too, standing in Christ's stead. Hey, here's something that would irritate a lot of you. Paul even called out people by name in his letters. Now, I've never had liberty to do that. I don't reckon I probably ever would do that. But apparently it's biblical. I know I'm upsetting your doctrine. But I'm not giving you anything that's not in the Bible here. I, the, the only time I would say somebody's name in a negative way is if it was a very definite church discipline situation. I'm following what Jesus said to do in Matthew 18. Other than that, that's, that's not where I'm going. But if you believe that I'm targeting you, then it's the Holy Spirit who's convicting you of something. Otherwise, if it didn't apply to you, why are you getting upset? Look at the beginning of verse 8. But he knew their thoughts. How about that? Jesus knew what they needed to hear. God-called preachers are often blessed with a great deal of discernment. Just as Jesus knew their thoughts, it's not uncommon for God to reveal to the man of God, this is what I want you to preach. Not because I know your thoughts. That's, that's God. He can only do that. And it's not because a preacher or something, but it's from God. Amen. There have been times God has woke me up in the middle of the night, laid someone on my heart, and not only do I pray for them all night, God begins to press upon me, this is what's about to happen. And I, and I make contact and I say, I just want to let you know the Lord lays you on my heart. I've been praying for you all night. But this is what God said. Do I need to be concerned? Now, when something like that happens, do I say something or do I stay quiet? Is the Holy Spirit leading me to preach about it or is He just telling me to be quiet? And if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that I rarely break away from our series. We're going through Genesis on Sunday morning, Acts on Sunday night, Daniel on Wednesday night. And I typically don't do this sort of thing because it almost always comes up eventually in the text because that's how uh, one of the ways the Holy Spirit works. But then there are times when God says, no, I need you to go ahead and do this, and that's, this is one of those times. Amen. Do I obey God and preach what He tells me to, or do I let fear control me? But believe me when I tell you, preaching is not always easy. Amen. I know I make it look fun. <laughs> there are times when I know I'm going to face criticism. I know that. And I don't, I don't like it. Right? I, it's not my intent to say, how can I upset Brother Long today? <laughs> I said Brother Long, not Sister Long, because she would have pulled out the airsoft and shot me in the face. <laughs> Women are ruthless. All right. I'm just saying, I still think it's a woman that shot me. <laughs> nice Mother's Day message. Bam! <laughs> um. I'm not a fan of criticism. I'm not a fan of drama. I don't watch dramas. I don't read drama. I don't, I don't promote drama. I, I'm anti-drama. 
And so in those times when I'm like, Lord, I don't really want to say this. I don't really want to preach this. The words of Jeremiah that God said to him come to mind. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And while it may not be what I want to preach, I want God to be pleased with me. Paul said in Acts 20, 20, I've I've kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. In Acts 20, 27, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That word shunned, it is the same when Paul said, I kept back nothing. It means to withhold something out of sight. To conceal, to cower, to shrink, to be reserved, to withdraw from, to back down. It's from a word which means to repress, to avoid, to withdraw yourself. Now why would the Apostle Paul have to say, I I have not shunned to keep anything back from you. I've given you the whole counsel of God. I, I submit to you. It wasn't because he was some superman, but it was because he knew there were things that were going to upset people along the way. But they were things that had to be said because God had told them to say it. If you preach the whole counsel of God, eventually somebody's going to get upset. And through Spirit-led preaching, there are many times when a preacher ends up taking the blame, taking the fall for what is really the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And I know deep down it's, it's not people bucking against me, they're bucking against the Word of God. Instead, hey, instead of being thankful that God would speak directly into a person's heart, instead of being thankful that the Holy Spirit would care enough about you to whisper into the ear of the preacher, preach this, people get offensive because they don't want to hear it. And they get mad at the preacher. So here's the deal. We have a decision to make once we believe we are being targeted. We can either get a critical spirit and get upset at the messenger, or we can be thankful that God loves us enough to give us a preacher that will give us what we need to hear, regardless of your opinion of the man. These in our text were the ones who got critical when Jesus targeted them. But then we have the example with David and Nathan the prophet sometime after David had his affair with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 12, verses 1-4, through And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and, and he spared to take of his flock and of his own herd. The rich man didn't want to take anything from his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But the rich man, it says, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it with a man that was come to him. You remember all that? David didn't know it yet, but Nathan had just targeted David. He was laying out to him what took place between David, Bathsheba, Uriah. He's laying all this out there 
Because remember, David not only had the affair, she got pregnant, and in an attempt to cover up the pregnancy, he had her husband killed in the heat of battle. So everyone would think it was his kid. Now, do you think, do you think Nathan the prophet wanted to deliver that message to the king? I, I, hey, here's something for you. How did Nathan even know that to begin with? It was, still a, it was still something that hadn't been exposed. It's because God revealed it to him. Have you ever done this? I've asked preachers, are you bugging my house? Preachers who get up and actually say the very words that my wife and I had just said the night before on the porch. Same phrases, same quips, same... I've had some of you come up to me, are you bugging my house? Trust me, I'm not. What's going on? God is at work. Amen. Amen. 2 Samuel 12, verses 5-6, through 6, as Nathan delivered this, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, speaking about this rich man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And what did Nathan, the man of God, do? Well, he kept back nothing. But he said... Thou art the man. This is a preacher speaking to the king over Israel who had the power to kill Nathan if he wanted to. He said, Thus saith the Lord. And I don't have time to read it, but he goes on to talk about how he had done wrong. David did. Now David could have gotten a critical spirit. He could have had Nathan killed. But instead, David chose to be thankful for a man of God who would shoot it straight. Second Samuel 12, 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And as a result of David not becoming critical, but yielding himself to God, the sweet psalmist of Israel penned Psalm 51. What a great psalm. I'm out of time. I realize that. I'm probably well over here, but I wanted to get further into this text, and I guess I guess we just won't get there. But understand my heart when I tell you that this ain't my first rodeo. Next month, I will have been preaching for 24 years. I know what a critical spirit does. I know what it can do to a church. I know what it looks like. I know how it can impact us. So I want to close by reminding you how you can help as a member of our church. In our church handbook, when you join, you get a welcome letter in there from me. It says this in part, quote, Please don't hesitate to bring any concerns to my attention so they can be addressed in a timely manner and don't grow into major issues. We cannot be effective if we do not communicate and allow division. So where's your heart at today? Don't allow any issue you may have with me or with our church to drive a wedge so deep that it takes you away from the place God has led you to. Because if you do, then you're really removing yourself from the place God sent you to so that you can hear the message that God wants you to hear. At least come to me and talk about it. Have you stopped hearing from God at church because you're so critical? 
Are you blaming the preacher for what is the goodness of God trying to work in your heart? Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I have no selfish ambitions. God is my witness. It is my desire to be obedient to God and for you to be obedient to God in response. And when I give an account to God one day, I want to do it with joy and not with grief because you decided to be disobedient to what was being preached. We need to be done with the critical spirit once and for all. And let's allow God to reach deep into our hearts and deal with issues as He sees fit. Let's pray.